Well, hello there, everyone, and welcome to Series 2 of the Urban Health Podcast, Keeping Busy People Healthy. I'm Stephanie Webster, a nutritional therapist in Harley Street, London, specialising in fat loss, gut health, and hormone optimization for busy executives and entrepreneurs over 40. Today, we are joined by Lorraine Bacon, who has been a relationship therapist since 2009 after completing her BA degree in person-centered therapy and mental health. She has worked with addiction as a therapist offering one-on-one and group therapy, specializing in psychosexual and relationship therapy since completing her diploma in 2012. She offers individual and couples therapy. Lorraine, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Oh, you're welcome. So, tell us about who you are and what you do. Well, I'm a 51-year-old single mum of two adult children. And as you say, I've been a therapist since 2009. Um, And I I, I work with couples, I work with individuals, whether it's uh, same-sex, heterosexual, and with all different subjects, what comes into their relationship, what causes problems. Okay, and what drew you into couples counselling? Well, it, when I was doing my degree, um, I always was passionate and interested in um, relationships and sex. Through doing a little bit of research, I was aware that there wasn't much help and support out there for couples. So, and also with my personal as well, I was in a long-term relationship since I was 15 and a half, and I noticed within my personal relationship that it was changing, I was changing as a person, and it was just something that I was really drawn to, and I just saw it was advertising in the uh, magazine, therapy magazine, and I went on to do the postgraduate diploma. Wonderful. And what, what sort of couples do you help? That you, I know you've got a, a, a reputation for being outstanding at what you do, so what sort of couples come to you? What do they look, come to, to you for? Well, there's a variety of things. Sometimes couples come when there's been a betrayal or there could be like a sexual dysfunction that's playing out, which then triggers a lot of insecurity, uh, lack of intimacy, uh, communication breakdown, so a variety of things. And also if they're trying to work through their sexuality, um, uh, things can change in them and they start getting to know their true selves. But also couples come together. I've worked with people with addiction, uh, which has caused um, conflict in their relationship. Let's talk about addiction. So what is the root cause of addiction? And what happens when you've got one person who's addicted and the husband or the wife or or whoever it might be isn't addicted and they have to deal with it? It's quite a difficult challenge for a couple to face. Oh, absolutely. And it's getting to understand education there. And it's having the other partner, the partner who's not, uh, an addict to be willing to look at things differently um, and to be educated about addiction, that it's, it's not something that people choose to do. It's, it's, uh, it comes about, and it depends, it's looking at the root of what the, the addiction is, what they're causing it there, and it, it, is, it could be like in regards to a disease, like people look at it as a disease, so it's a bit like a nut allergy. Like if, if somebody has alcohol, it, it triggers it off and the allergy's off. But also some people can be addicted, uh, but that doesn't mean they're, they've got that deep, deep-rooted uh, addiction thing that's playing out. It could be it's, it's a behaviour that's helping them to survive something that they're not happy with within themselves or within their relationship. Yeah. And is it true that once an addict, always an addict, or can it be cured? 
from my personal opinion, there's, there's a big variety of that. Uh, if you look at the 12-step program, they see it as that it's a disease and it's fixed and you can't be, be cured and it's a way of implementing sobriety, attending meetings uh, and following the program there and not to have any mind-altering substances, whether it's alcohol, drugs, because uh, that can trigger that off. And also there's another bit, in, in my point of view, and that's based on past experience of working with some people, that they've been able to go on and after many years, they've been able to have a couple of glasses of wine and it hasn't triggered it. So for me, it, there's, there's a real inter, there's a real conflict that there's one approach, but there's another approach. And I guess for me, I'm, I, I've worked on both sides. I've worked with uh, harm reduction and, and, and reducing. And I've also had experience within the 12-step program. And I guess for me, I, I, there's, a, there's a bit of both thing that I see. Yeah. I, I do. I do see that they they can can be cured, but not not always in an addict. And is it genetic? There's an argument that it's genetic and that that we're born this way, or some say that we're made this way. We're we're socialised and cultured into addiction. What's your view on that? Yeah, that, that is the big question, and that is the thing what goes around. That actually, that we're it's generic. It's, it's looking at that nature or nurture. Um, if I'm based on my experience of working with people, they've become addicts or they've used a substance uh, or a behaviour. Like I say, it's not a substance, it can be a behaviour. There's a lot of uh, like sex addiction, food addiction, shopping addiction, and they could have learned that from their role models, or maybe it's just something they've learned as they've got older and they've implemented themselves. And what happens in our programme is one person decides to change their life and start mm-hmm. to rebuild and start to work on themselves, get rid of any addictions, lose some body fat, uh, get healthier. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if one couple, uh, one part of the couple is is pursuing that and the other isn't, that can cause arguments when there's a change of values and a change of priorities and change of actions and behaviours and now we're buying salad and not burgers and now we're, we're not yeah. we're not going yeah. out anymore yeah. and well, we can't drink anymore, we're not smoking anymore. So a lot of the social bonding starts to leave. So when you've seen that in couples, um, how do you manage that? And like I said, yeah, that does come up that when there's, one person's pursuing one goal and it's not what the other person wants to do. And I suppose it's, been, it's work, it's good communication, it's being able to implement requests for change that are realistic and accepting their own separate boundaries that actually this is what they're choosing to do in their life and that it's not to have an impact on the other person's life. And it's working on acceptance and it's working on respect because um, when I work with couples, it's highlighting to them that there's their world, their separate worlds, and the relationship they share together, and then it's what they bring into the relationship. And sometimes what the other person or each person bring in the relationship may not sit right with them. So it's about that's the conflict and being able to come to, to co- uh, like cooperate, negotiate. And look at roles, and that if one person wants to have salads, and that it's not actually putting, imposing that onto the other partner. So I thought it's looking at communication and putting forward that requests and, and boundaries there. Yeah, it is a question of boundaries. And what do you do when you have a partner who's trying to coax? Oh, no, it's all right. You can have a drink. Just have one. Go on, have one with me like the old days. When you actually have somebody who wants to coax 
that person back into behaviors that no longer serve them it's a question of boundaries mm. and a respect and and yeah, then yeah. the argument comes up well if you really love me you'd let me do whatever i wanted to pursue and the other one says mm. but if you really loved me you'd have a drink with me and then it just goes into mm. that so how how do we deal with that yeah that's that's a that's quite a manipulative and there's a lot of manipulation um within couples uh who have chosen to to change their life implement new things into their life when i hear that cause it feels like it's like peer pressure the way i'd work with couples and that partner i'd, I'd be getting into what's their intention or what's going on for them how are they feeling about their partner making these changes a lot of it has come up that I would say that there's a fear, there's a fear underlying and the fear of this person that's making these changes for themselves that's going to maybe not want their partner anymore. So it triggers them to want to, oh no, have a drink because it's coming to make them feel better mm-hmm. because there's a, there's a fear that if my partner continues and they change and their confidence change, they may see me differently. And a lot of that plays out that actually I might be rejected, I might not be enough. So it comes from a place like to try and, oh, have a drink, have a drink, is to make them feel better because there could be some fear that's playing out. Yeah, absolutely. Fear of change, right? Yeah, or fear of losing their partner. Mm-hmm. Even though it's not it's an assumption because this partner is making changes, there could also be fear of, what they like about that person. And some couples, they like the shape of the, their partner's body as it is. They don't want that to change because it's going to have an impact on their their attraction to them and their uh, sexual desire and their sexual arousal. And they're not wanting them to change their body shape. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's difficult. It's very difficult. It is difficult, very difficult. In, in my own experience, yeah. when I, I was... Um, uh, I've been different body shapes throughout my life, uh, and I'm probably at yeah. the smallest I've ever been now. That affects my bust, my waist, my hips, everything. And as long as I'm happy in my own body, I don't really care about um, what <laughs> my partner thinks. No. And uh, no. I yeah. don't have a boyfriend problem. I've got a marketing problem. So it, it, when I was bigger, I needed someone who loved me who liked bigger. And it, when I'm smaller, I need someone who loves me who likes smaller and appreciates me for what I am and does not expect me to be something that I'm not. And uh, yeah. I guess that's the goal of unconditional love, which we're all seeking, I guess, um, to love without expectations and be loved in return and just to be loved just as you are. And yeah, and, uh, yeah so for, for anyone who's feeling uncomfortable about their, their, their bodies and their, they want to make a change but they feel they'll, they'll let their partner down... Well, you have your own life and this is your body and it's your responsibility to look after your, your own happiness and your own yeah. health and you, you come first. And that sounds selfish, but it's also essential. Oh, absolutely. And that's what I do with couples or even I work with somebody individually. If they're becoming comfortable and they're more confident in themselves, in the couples, well, I look at actually what, where is the line? You know, is there a deal breaker? Because sometimes if, you know, if the partner's not able or willing to change their thinking or to be respectful and uh, encouraging of their partner to reach the goals they want to, which makes them feel better, then it can, sometimes relationships do, do end. Just from my experience, I, I was with my, my husband from the age of 15 and a half and we were together for 28 years. Wow. Through all, through all of that time... I changed, my goals changed, 
I, that's when I went on to do my studying and it played out in the relationship because my husband, based on my experience, could see that I was growing in confidence in regards to pursuing my own goals, my professional goals, uh, and that caused uh, fear in his world. And then it caused conflict, and, that, and there was a lot of conflict. A lot of actually, I kept setting my boundaries, and that's what I see in couples. It's actually looking at actually what are what's acceptable in your world and what's not. And and, and sometimes the reality is that the relationship has changed and that they want different things and there could be an ending. So then I work with couples being able to bring their relationship to a close with an appreciation of what it has been, what they've brought, especially if they've been children. And that's when I work with couples, I start off with them actually. I'm here to facilitate, but I'm not here to be able to say that I can fix your relationship. It may be that actually you're, you're different people, you've changed and you want different goals. And sometimes those those goals are so different that they they're in heading in different art directions. And we often stay in relationships when we know they're over because we're attached. And uh, yeah, and that's yeah. that's really sticky. Why do we do that? Yeah, well, that's also about your self esteem, self worth, and self confidence and codependence. And it can be a lot of stuff, deep rooted stuff, from their role models, their caregivers. And it's that even when there's certain bits, they get that, oh, that was really good and that really worked. But they, they lose sight of what's not working and that's what comes back in the, in the therapy. And you can see the conflict play out and it's that awareness. But it's really frightening. It's frightening. Sometimes people, but that's what I know of then. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to stay with it. It's comfortable. It's familiar. It's like addiction. You know, they stay in that, that addictive behaviour because it's familiar for them to come off of that, it's scary and it's risky. Mm-hmm. And uh, but that's 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 the the change that people really struggle with. This balance between having your comfort zone being pushed in order to grow, and also retaining mm. some familiarity is exactly why my clients, when they're building a company or they're getting a divorce or they're going through a big massive change, they return to food as their way of having some sort of bizarre control, even though they're out of control, or yeah. having familiarity, and then they come to seek coaching to be held to a higher standard mm. to, to maintain themselves during this difficult time. Uh, mm. But when you speak about boundaries, it's not just between a husband and wife or, or a couple. Um, it's also between mother and child. Often I see that um, a mother will sacrifice her own needs for the benefit of the ch- of the children and mm. and uh sabotage her goals as a result and the idea of going on an airplane and putting the oxygen mask on yourself first before helping others is one that i feel from an insight point of view mothers struggle to embrace that concept more than than any other uh type do you agree with that oh yeah Definitely, that's the that's a metaphor. That's the uh, metaphor that I use as well, especially with my work. It's about that self care, and, and they all, they want to be carers, and there's a lot of rescuers, especially if they're if they've they've um, they're an addict or they've done something. If there's been an affair or something in the relationship or in their world that they feel shame and guilt about, they then 
overcompensate and they want to put the other person first and rescue and rescue, then they lose sight of their self-care. Um, and I guess also when you're saying about mothers and daughters, um, you said earlier on as well about unconditional love that we're looking for in a partner, uh, uh, intimate romantic partner. And that's one thing I, I say with my couples that couple partner is, uncondi- is conditional that we, not, we do not find an unconditional love with a partner. They do bring conditions, and it's those conditions that cause conflict and whether we can work through that together. The only unconditional relationship that a human being should ever experience should be from their their parents, from their mother, from their father, which is unconditional. And that's not always the case, and that can cause a lot of uh, uncertainty, their low self-worth, all of that, and then they go into adults that become quite needy and then get into relationships which are codependent or get into addictive behaviours or behaviours that self-soothe to make them feel feel better because it's overwhelming. So um, that's the really tough thing. When I explain that to them, that, it, that a relationship is conditional and it's being able to work through those conditions and sometimes we can't so i've been saying that for some time but everyone says i'm cynical that okay uh, (laughs) that relationships (laughs) are conditional no it's tough it's tough being me um that relationships are conditional because i love you on condition that you're handsome beautiful that you're successful, that you're in shape, that, that you're, um, you know, you live in London, that you're, mm. you, all these different conditions. And as long as the conditions mm. match and they're easily serviced, then that's fine. But um, mm. often I'm, I'm accused of being of being cynical, but I'm not, right? Tell me I'm not. Tell me I'm not cynical. <laughs> no, no, I'm the same. I, like, I'm a single woman now. And well, maybe I'm, we're both I'm cynical. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm going. To, I know what I what I what I want and what I don't want. Um, so I'm coming with conditions, and my conditions are that I need somebody who's going to be working. Um, I need somebody who's uh, quite confident in themselves because that's all part of what I find attractive. Um, but also, there's some conditions I'm flexible with. As well, and I suppose that's looking at what you know, what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. And in relationships, if someone's coming and they're like we say, if they're addicted, then that's 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 crossing the line. That's not acceptable in my world. That's my my condition that I don't want to be with somebody who's addicted. And you might want to be with somebody who who does live in London or don't live too far away. So I don't say I I don't see that as cynical. I see that as um, you know, quite confident. You know what you want and what's acceptable. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you've taken the opportunity to pitch for uh, a love interest in your life. <laughs> and, uh, any, anybody listening can can contact Lorraine if you're interested in her criteria. <laughs> you might get more than you bargained for. That's fine. Um, we're talking about addiction being a coping mechanism for stress, or, or we've learned that behaviour in order to soothe ourselves. What healthy coping mechanisms do you advocate for uh, your addicts to change into more healthy states? Okay, so what we look at when uh, when I'm working with somebody who's an addict and they they're stopping the substance, it's looking at actually what can they put in place because there's going to be an ending because the way I work with people, 
with uh, addiction and work, with it's a relationship. They've got this relationship with alcohol. They've got this relationship with drugs. They've got this relationship with food. And I, I get them to look at it from that point of view. And it's a it can be an abusive relationship. It can take their money. It can take their health. It can take their relationships. Their family and friends and their job opportunities and their choices in life. So I acknowledge that and I say, actually, when this relationship with this substance of whatever kind ends, there's going to be an ending, there's going to be a grieving, and it's looking at what you can put in place. And if they go down the 12-step program, they can go to AA, CA, NA meetings, the fellowship meetings, they can find a sponsor there, they can go through the 12-step program. So that's implementing that change and working through some real deep-rooted stuff there. Or they can go through other, there's um, drug and alcohol services, but they help in group work, looking at harm reduction, looking at alternatives, looking at consequences. It is about, you know, implementing changes. However, they have to have the willingness and the courage to be able to do that. And sometimes that's the really difficult part. Now, the big topic of money, when one partner is investing money in educating Mm. themselves, investing money in personal trainers, in in diet Mm. and nutrition and and coaching and 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 the the other partners left feeling well that's a lot of money that we're investing and how how do we deal with money why is money such a sensitive topic yeah well it's i, I guess with me, with me when i think of that i don't see it's not about money i would say that there's something else that's playing out under there but it's a they're just bringing the money in I'd be, you know, what is it that you really, what's going on? It could be some resentments, it could be some frustration, and again, it could be some fear. But they're bringing in that actually, this money, you're using this money. But I feel that there would be deep stuff in there. But also, money is important. If it, if they've got, you know, debts, they've got things that they have to pay, then that, that makes complete sense. But really, if, if they're comfortable financially and the person's just going to get about the money, you're using this money, there's, there's something else that's not sitting right. It don't, it's not about the money. It's about something else, what's not being spoken. A bit like the elephant in the room. Yeah, I guess it's about shared values. I thought we were an item. I thought we were together. I thought we were of a similar tribe, a similar thinking, that we shared a common interest and common values. And if mm. suddenly the priorities have changed and one person has and one person hasn't and that can cause a rift. So sometimes we have cases where a client no longer feels attractive, so they withdraw from physical intimacy with their partner. How can the couple support each other through this? As a psychosexual relationship therapist, the way that I would work with that there would actually put sex to one side um, and so they can focus on building their intimate communication and then bringing in there's a program called the Sensate Focus Program. So that's about sensual touch uh, and, and connecting their bodies in that way. But it's a really slow program. But it's working on intimate communication to start off with. And, and there's no rush with that. And it's at that person's pace who's not feeling confident in themselves. And it's about loving yourself and, and believing in yourself. And, and if you're comfortable in your own skin, you automatically emit a, a, a confidence. And that's very attractive. Mm, yeah. 
Yeah, and that sensate focus isn't just with a couple. It's a self-sensate. It's exercise that they do with themselves. So they, they, it's their relationship with their body, getting to know their body, what they like, where they like being touched, what 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 feels nice, what doesn't feel nice, what they like more of. So it's about yeah, they're, it's about feeling confident in their body in a sensual way. Mm-hmm. So Lorraine, so let us know some tips that you have. How can we communicate better as partners and in general? In regards to communication, there's a real. Uh, but it's called a margo, and it's uh, it's like the crossing the bridge. It's, when I work with couples, I get them to imagine that there's a, a bridge between them, and um, only one person can cross it at a time. So this is working on their empathy, and it's the active listening sender receiver. Uh, sometimes it's really hard because empathy is it, really hard to implement in relationships because they're all they're both coming with their agenda, and they get triggered, or then they're crossing the line. But it's working on that, so it'd be uh, working with active listening and repeating back what they're hearing, eye contact, uh, a lot of communication is body language. It's working on appreciation, sharing appreciation. So I encourage them, even if it's to start off with, you know, I appreciate that you brought me that cup of tea in bed this morning, just really slowing it all down. Um, also, there's a, a dialogue wheel, so it's a guide that they can use and it's talking from the eye. Because the moment they come with, you've done this, you've done that, you've used all the money, you want to change all the, the eating plan here. It just sets up for a, like a conflict attack. So I invite them to talk from the eye. And there is a dialogue wheel that you can get online if you Google it in and you can use it as a tool. Uh, but it will feel unfamiliar to people because they've had this, uh, I call it a survival dance, the way they've survived their relationship with communication. So it'll be implementing a new way of communicating. Lorraine, I'm smiling because I have experienced the Imago model in couples therapy um, myself, and I found that to be profoundly difficult. Um, yeah. It's yeah. so interesting. I speak, he repeats, and he repeats something similar to what I said, but with a different different meaning. And then yeah. I did it the same also. And it's just... It, what you hear and what you perceive and what you relay back is so different. And it's amazing how words and communication is lost along the way and, and how things yeah. can be misconstrued. And it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because you're with someone for years and actually you're not communicating at all and you think that you know the person and you think they know you. And, and yeah. you, you think you're expressing yourself clearly, but they're not hearing what you're saying. They're hearing what they think you're saying and, and vice versa, of course. I take ownership there. It's not about uh, blame here. It's just a mutual thing. And mm. it was a tough, tough exercise, the Imago model. Very difficult. Yeah, really difficult. And there's a lot of assumptions that come up um, when we're talking to people and the couples are talking to people. And I, 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 I own that myself. There's times I come out and I would, no, that's an assumption. That's not facts. I'm assuming that. Um, but that, Margaret, it is. It's, it, it's a practice. It's not something that happens overnight. And that's the empathy, being able to be in that other person's world uh, without bringing your opinion, your judgments, trying to fix solution. Um, but also you're, you're being triggered yourself. Actually, no, that's not what I said. So, yeah, it's really difficult. Yeah, or when you're being criticised for parts of your personality that actually you quite like and, and you, you want to maintain. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But also, um, 
The Imago model, though, and couples therapy can be quite heavy. And it's a very, you know, deep, dark, intimate space. And often couples lose, uh, lose sight and they think, well, you know what, when we fell in love, we didn't talk about these sort of things. It was all hormones and endorphins and maybe we should get back to that, you know? I mean, we're not going to find the solution in these walls surrounded with this Imago model, which is really awkward to implement. And it's also heavy. And do, does love and excitement and and it come come after couples therapy or is it really the beginning of the end? I know that's something that's going through people's minds. So that's why I'm asking it. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you first meet somebody, you're saying about the hormones, like when you first come together with somebody, the oxytocin, the dopamine going around in the brain, is called the rose-tinted glasses. It's like being on a substance, and that's when people's done the most craziest things. They go the other side of the world for somebody they've never met. But in after time, that all those chemicals settle down, the rose tinted glasses come off, and then you start seeing the person. Uh, they've always been that way, but that's when the power struggle comes in. So you get irritated and frustrated, and it's being able to work through that. And that's generally where couples would split up. Uh, but it's being able to work through that and excitement and passion can come back in into it again uh, but it's it's letting go of where it once was and embracing the new people that you are um and respecting and looking at things you do like but that again it doesn't always work out like that some things it's just like this. no it's it's I, I don't feel that there uh, and I, I think that's where I really look at couples and what is your deal? What's, what's the deal breaker? And when they're communicating as well, uh, I encourage them to be open and honest, but not abusive. So it's being able to be open and honest, uh, putting forward requests, uh, but not to set the other person up to fail or the relationship up to fail. But sometimes that's where it comes to light. Actually, we are on different pages. Mm-hmm. And it's often hard to, to do that when you don't feel safe from the relationship anymore. So when you start out, you feel safe, you can say anything you like, and then eventually small resentments start to build up and you no longer feel safe that you can be yourself in a relationship. And that can be quite um, something quite monumentous to come back from, particularly after infidelity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, yeah, it, it, it's difficult. Lorraine, thank you so much for coming on to the show. That has been deep and meaningful and <laughs> and you've given us lots of insights there some some that uh, I'm sure some of my, li- my listeners would prefer not to acknowledge uh, because they yeah. like to have a rosier view I guess you and I have seen yeah. so much of life that we've got different perspectives now um yeah we're not a swoon by Disney and uh and and, and the fantasy of that but yes no Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure and an honour to do this. This is my first ever podcast, so and it's been a great experience, and thank you for the opportunity. Wow, I didn't realise it was your first podcast. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, You're welcome. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you, Lorraine, for helping the Urban Health Podcast in keeping busy people healthy.